Retain Podcast. Hey there, Gang Grow Retain. Uh, this is Jeff. Just wanted to take a quick minute and let you know that the annual conference for Higher Logic called Super Forum is uh, is back and happening. It's October nineteenth through the twenty first. Uh, it's a free and virtual event, and we wanted to make sure and spread the invite to all of you. It's uh, it's going to be chock full of stuff around community, customer success, customer experience, really trying to help you all think about 2022 and make sure we can drive retention initiatives. So um, drop into the description of this episode and sign up. So we're back with another episode of Gang Grow Retain, and I've got uh, Gurdev Anand from Gentem. But I'm excited uh, to have you today and uh, appreciate you, you know, coming on. We're, we've, we're both just talking about taking vacations and getting time off. So I know that this might be uh, a little hard. And so I appreciate you uh, hopping on with us today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, very excited to be here to talk all things CES and more specifically churn. Uh, it is a fun topic to talk about. At least I find it fun. Uh, well, I like to start off with a couple of, uh, you know, icebreakers and, and let's get to know you a little bit more. So, um, you know, one of the questions that I always like to ask, it's off the cuff, not really sure why or how I, I came about this, but, um, if you're, you know, in the morning having breakfast, what's your favorite fruit? Oh, uh, recently plums. I eat like Ooh. seven plums a day, Whoa. um, which is super aggressive. But uh, they're very like the a good balance of sweet and tart. Yeah. Um, so I like a good plum. I like summer like stone fruits in the summertime are my favorite. So I can crush through any fruit um, that's a stone fruit in the summer. Uh, and then a good old classic, nice cold watermelon or. Man, there's, really no, there's no there's no fruit I don't like. I don't. Think. <laughs> I'm realizing that right now. Like bananas, apples. Everything. I try, just, I've I've tried to keep like mental note of like people's answers, and uh, you're the first person that said plum. Hey, plums are underrated, but you know part of it though is you have to have you have to find a good plum. Yeah. So yeah. So you got to find one that's like you know I, either from a farmer's market because they don't have all the other stuff on it. Uh, the grocery plums for some reason just don't hit the same because they don't have the same tartness. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. We had, but, I just had somebody um, before this, they had mentioned cantaloupe and that was the first person I had oh. that had mentioned cantaloupe. And I was like, you know, that's an under, uh, I feel like cantaloupes underrated. Uh, I feel like plums are underrated. So two in a row. I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cantaloupes would be one that I wouldn't say though. For uh, yeah. 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 The, uh, <laughs> I like that. Well, the other question, uh, the other kind of like fun question I've been liking to, uh, to ask people is, um, you know, if you're, if you have to describe your, your perfect summer weekend night, you know, um, is it, you know, what are you doing? Is it hanging out with friends? Are you going out to a movie? Are you, um, you know, sitting on the couch and, uh, hanging out with your pets or whatever, you know, what's the, if you had to describe your perfect summer night, what is it? I'm a homebody. So probably just hang out at home. Uh, maybe sitting outside, maybe watch a movie, hang out with a pup uh what kind of dog uh little maltese poodle terrier mix he's nine pounds he's the cutest thing in the entire world of course i'm biased uh <laughs> he's probably also the best dog in the entire world again probably very biased there as well <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah no just hang out at home watch a movie hang um, out decompress yeah i'm i'm uh i'm pretty much the same if i could go play golf i'd probably throw that in there but you know yeah. i'm uh I'm, I'm kind of a homebody too and my wife and i uh we um 
we like making like fun kind of fancy cocktails every once in a while. So to me, it's kind of like, Hey, can we make like a fun little cocktail and like sit on the couch? We have two dogs. Um, so it's like, if we're sitting on the couch with two dogs and, you know, listen to some fun music or something like that, like that's like a nice, uh, nice ender to the weekend, especially or yeah. to, the, to the week from work, you know, so that's, that's yeah. something that we uh, would like to do. Yeah, I'm sure your dogs are the cutest in the world too. Oh yeah. But I, 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 I'm not biased though. You know, they are the cutest. Uh, um, yeah, they're now I've got a little cockapoo named Toby. Uh, and then I've got a, we rescued Izzy. She's kind of like a, um, chow chow mix. Um, she's very, very, uh, she's been very sweet recently. She's been very cuddly. So, uh, that's been fun for sure. That's awesome. Well, um, I was excited to get you on cause uh, I did, I know how much you love talking about, uh, two things, which I think we're going to touch on today, which is churn. And then also, uh, how to, how to just kind of create some brand affinity and create people, you know, almost just creating more brand advocates. Like how do you get people to like your, yeah. your brand and just engage with you? So, um, I think, you know, the first one that we were going to talk through is just around, um, kind of mitigating churn. You know, I think yeah. there's a lot of things that people talk about, right. Um, getting ahead of churn, we need to get, uh, health scores and do all this stuff. But I yeah. think we're going to talk about maybe some of the things that people don't talk about a lot, which yeah. uh, the first one that came up was kind of, you know, how do you, um, how do you save kind of brand integrity um, while, you know, you're, you're experiencing churn and, and thinking about the experiences of, of kind of offboarding a customer. And so I'm curious if you've spent some time thinking about that and, uh, and what comes to mind. Yeah. So I, it, look, I think the first thing to, to recognize is like customers are going to leave uh, the business service or, or product that you have, right? Um, it's kind of a natural part of a business. The, the key part though is figuring out the why. Um, and alongside that, showing genuine intent to understand the why, because a brand that cares about why a customer leaves is gonna leave a really good experience for that customer. Um, and I, I, I kind of think about it this way, right? So customer success traditionally has primarily three key functions, sometimes two. You'll have onboarding, account management, customer success, sometimes those two are, are fused together. Uh, and then you will probably have like a support function. Not many organizations really think about the one to 5% of your business a month that's leaving. But I think that's actually one of the most important parts of, of customer success that probably I think arguably should be built out in every CS function. Um, and so for me, yeah, I think kind of like you said, I don't see it. And part of it's just been in the environments that I've been in, being more in the early stage uh, startup environment. You know, I'm not as focused on health scoring or thinking about uh, algorithms and large data sets to crunch and drive conclusions, just more so taking it back to the basics and thinking about brand integrity. How do we preserve our brand integrity? And honestly, along the way, how do we save some business? A customer might say that they want to leave, but that doesn't mean that they're, the door is shut to them staying. Maybe they just need to be heard and that's their way of, of being heard. So um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to do this. Um, in a way where you, you know, you start to really protect your brand. Um, I think you do that organically. I, I think you can't force that. Um, and then along the way, you, you'll start to find reasons and cohorts and buckets as to why customers are looking to leave. And so once you collect that data, the really fun part is getting everyone internally rallied around solving these key pain points or challenges that customers are facing and really listening to your customer. Um, it's not something that just CS does. I think if you're in an organization that truly is customer obsessed, everyone in the organization is gonna ask the question of what do customers want. And part of that's gonna be 
from churn customers. It's a part of your cohort. It's a part of your, your, your business. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack outside of the algorithms and the health scoring and operational setup, um, where it's just kind of going one-to-one is solving for churn a lot of times isn't really scalable. I think you can prevent it in a scalable way, meaning you found a hundred percent or 50% of your customers are leaving for one reason, solve that reason. You know, you solve that in a scalable fashion, but when a customer wants to leave, I, I actually think that has to be a, a one-to-one activity. Um, yeah. Because there's so much knowledge that a customer can give you that you wouldn't know if you don't ask the right questions or even ask any questions. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that pop into my mind as you talk about that, you know, especially like the, um, like word of mouth becomes so big, right? I mean, especially when you start thinking about how, uh, like two things come to mind for me, which are um, communities are becoming bigger, not just mm-hmm. communities for your customers, but like they're in kind of broader communities for practice, right? Like, I mean, we have gang grow retained. It's technically not really tied to a specific product, right? So it's like, hey, people are in there talking about all the, the customer success platforms every mm-hmm. single day. And so, you know, just to your point, you know, it, how you let somebody probably leave your organization the way you yeah. treat them kind of on the way out. Like that's going to be something that resonates with them. Cause they're, they might go share that and say, Hey, you know what? Like, um, uh, this company, you know, uh, as we were offboarding, uh, they were super helpful, right? They gave us yeah. plenty of time. They gave us, you know, uh, ways to, to navigate and stuff. And like that, you know, that's, that's great. Cause they're leaving the door open. If we need to come back, like we'd, we'd be happy to do so. It just didn't fit at this time, you know, that kind of thing. So I think about that quite a bit, you know, is that word of mouth and kind of communities are becoming a big thing. So that really needs to be thought about um, of, of what, you know, the way your, your offboarding works. And the second thing that I was thinking about too, is um, just like you mentioned, like, um, I don't think there's a lot of, I, I haven't really come across a, a lot of companies that have thought quite a bit about the, what are the types of questions that you're really asking as part of the offboarding plan, right? You know, you kind of have some of the, I think people have playbooks for um, for churn quotes uh, that are kind of your standard, like, hey, what's going to take to keep you here, right? Like, what's yeah. what can we do to work this out? But yeah. like, okay, say you go through those and those are done, right? What are those kind of next level questions that are kind of like, hey, um, you know, help us understand a little bit better. Like, sure, you, you're leaving because, um, you know, the product didn't fit your specific use case, but, you know, what are, let's dig into some of those if you don't mind. Like, can you help us yeah. understand why? And then uh, because I, I love, the other thing I've thought about quite a bit and I love it is that you can also reintroduce as you ask them those questions, you start saying why you can leave the door ajar a little bit. You can actually say, Hey, if we go, if we were to go fix that and build that, like, could I contact you and let you know about that? Like, can I come back to you and kind of say, Hey, we, we fixed X, Y, and Z. Um, it just, again, kind of keeps the dialogue open. Like you said, like, especially in, in today's world, right. Switching costs are becoming lower SaaS businesses in the cloud, like moving and switching is going to become um, probably a lot more, uh, natural. And so it's like, Hey, we need to leave the door open, um, so that somebody can come back. Uh, so those are a couple of things that, as you were talking, especially about kind of, you know, brand integrity and, and trying to make sure that you're easy to do business with that those come to mind for me. Yeah. Community is huge. And I think, um, so I've specifically been working in healthcare, um, in my career. So I work with an SMB private practices. And so physicians have these networks, they have these communities there. And a lot of them are offline too. And so, um, what's interesting is we, uh, in, in, both organizations I've worked at, we hear a lot of like, oh, I've heard of you guys through my network or through referring providers or whatever. And that's both very powerful, but very dangerous because there can be an environment where you have one customer where maybe they feel whether right or wrong, they feel like they were slighted or something went wrong. Um, That one provider is going to go talk to five other providers. And I'm speaking in healthcare, but this same activity happens in different verticals and different industries. 
And so, you know, when talking with churn customers that are thinking about leaving your business or have concerns, I think the biggest question that I always ask myself when I have these questions or these conversations with customers is how can I understand, I could genuinely want to understand where we fell short of your expectation. Let's start there. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in CS who have kind of asked like, Hey, how do you have converse? Like what's your playbook? And the funny thing is like, I, when I was in a function that literally talked to customers that wanted to leave all day, every day, our playbook was simple. Start a conversation explaining what you know, and then ask an open-ended question like, how do we fall short of your expectation? What's gotten us to this point where we're having this conversation? Um, you know, customer, I understand that you're set on leaving our service or our business. Totally respect that. Um, but I want to I want to invest a little bit more in learning and understanding how we fall short. And you'd be surprised how many co conversations I've had with customers who are like, "Yep, I'm leaving." To at the end of the conversation, they're either renewing their agreement, they're staying in their agreement. When a lot of times we're actually able to upsell them a service or a product that we have to solve a gap or a need that they expressed. And so imagine environments and organizations that go from having these churn dialogue conversations to actually expanding revenue. It's like the dream in CS, right? You're expanding accounts and potentially doing that with customers that are wanting to leave. So um, community is important. I think recognizing that your community is offline is super important because it happens through word of mouth. And then, you know, I think, I think being genuinely curious as to why a customer is at this, this situation I actually don't think there's like, a, I've heard a lot of companies have exit surveys. You know, you send a form, customer fills out this form, maybe they don't, right? Like, I think that's that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I said you can't have a one-to-many tactic. Yeah. It really has to be one-to-one -one because that's a very personal, intimate conversation. Like, imagine that customer, I mean, if you think about the customer journey, right? The front end of that journey, the sales process can be anywhere from 30 to 60 to 90 days. There's a human or multiple humans that are invested in that customer signing up for your product. And if I'm a customer and I, you know, I know that this company invested so much, so much resource in getting me, but they're investing very little resource in keeping me or understanding yeah. why they fell short. Like, is that organization really customer obsessed? Right. It's a tough question to ask, but you kind of have to ask that because um, I would argue not. Like, I think you should have that conversation. Someone in the organization should own that churn conversation um, because it's important to invest in those. Like, it's important to understand why a customer is looking to leave. You can take actions from those conversations uh, and you can put solutions in place within your organization to help solve that at a scalable level, or you can potentially turn that customer into being a severe uh, detractor into being not just a promoter, but an advocate. Like I've I had that happen six months ago. Um, took a customer who was dead set on leaving, said, I don't want to talk to you. I just joined the organization. And now she's our advocate. She's actually sending us referrals. We've expanded her. Uh, we've expanded revenue with her through other uh, goods and services that we provide, um, and that just happened from asking the simple question of where do we fall short, and once we listened, putting a solution in place. Because a lot of playbooks also have credits, they have discounts, they try to incentivize through monetization. Yeah, and that's just the wrong tactic. Like I talk to a customer and you tell them, and they, and they sometimes will say like, oh, how are you going to solve this? Are you going to give me a credit? Are you going to give me three months credit? I actually tell a customer, hey there are ways that we can help with your invoice and your contract. And we'll talk about that at the end. But if I simply jump to that, I'm actually not doing you a service by solving the pain point or the problem. So let me make sure yeah. that we have a solution in place to solve the concern that you have. 
And assuming that we get consensus on that, I promise you we'll get something figured out. And part of that's the organization willing, you know, willingness to give us those resources. Yeah. And the other part of it is a customer like taking being thrown for a loop because they're not used to that, right? They're used to someone just being like, oh, we'll give you 30% off. Or yeah. you call a cable company, we'll give you HBO for free for a year. Um, right. And classic. And, yeah. And and you're not really understanding why they're maybe that they don't want that's not why they're trying to leave. Maybe there's something else, right? So solve that pain point first. Um, and I think you'll have better outcomes with those, with those conversations and customers, and maybe they leave, you're not going to save all of them, but yeah. when they leave, they're going to, like you said, they're going to say, Hey, this was a really good experience. They actually care. And in six months, they'll come back. I, it, when we invested in this part of the business, at my previous, the previous organization I worked at so much of the conversations that I had with customers ending up leaving, I would have them call me back in three to six months and be like, I made a mistake. Can I come back? Um, you guys genuinely care. You showed that the product actually works, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we kept that door open. So yeah. churn shouldn't ever be seen as like the door shut, right? Churn should always be seen as how do we keep that door open even after they leave? Well, and the thing I keep sitting here thinking about quite a bit as well, you know, is um, so my mind keeps wand wandering a little bit because you're, you know, you, you had mentioned earlier, you were like, you know, sending a survey, uh, sending kind of the exit survey, right? It's kind of the one many strategy and it's, it's really kind of, Hey, I don't know, 5% of people might fill it out. You know, it's such yeah. a small, a low percentage, but, and even when you think about other surveys you send, right They're they're never, it's never going to be a hundred percent response rate. You're always seeing there wondering like, why don't people want to respond to surveys? And yeah. I always go back to two things. It's one, cause you, no one ever really tells you what they're doing with the survey data. They don't say, um, Hey, thanks for filling out our NPS survey. Here's actually what we did based off of your NPS response. And like, this is why, like that, that's why I like um, playing that back for people is such a big thing because it can actually start to say, hey, when I respond to X, they actually do something about it with Y. Mm -hmm. And I think the second thing is that the questions are so predictable these days that people just don't even, they just gloss them over. It's like, sure, I've gotten this NPS question now. I, you know, I work with 10 vendors twice a year. So I get, I get this 20 times a year. Cool, yep, here's a seven, whatever, you know, on to the next one. So I was just thinking like, you know, how could, maybe one of the ways, um, like you said, I think having the conversation definitely has to happen, right? We need to have some of the one-on-one -on -one and we need to do some of that, but maybe also like rethink, rethink your survey strategy and start asking questions that are really going to get people thinking and also send it in a way that is going to get that person thinking ahead of time, um, that they want to open that email, that there's actual like genuine intrigue in there. And it's not just a, Hey, here's your generic NPS survey, or here's your generic, um, offboarding survey, right. For churn. Um, like what's a great subject line that it's going to hook them. How do you write something that's in this, in the text, that's actually going to hook them. And then, you know, ask them the questions, like you were saying, like, like genuinely show through your question asking that, Hey, this isn't just a survey that goes into something that spits out a number. It's like, no, we actually read these responses. Like the open text fields are actually, mm -hmm. you know, something of value. Cause I think that's something I've, I've thought quite a bit about too, which is um, people always say, Oh, you, we need to eliminate as many of the open field text boxes. Cause it's not as useful because we can't just dumb it down to a number. Right. But really that's yeah. where the most useful part is because people actually expound and they actually give you feedback and thoughts. So uh, I don't know. I was, I was sitting over here daydreaming about like why surveys suck, but um, <laughs> as you were thinking I mean, about like, like survey. the thing with surveying too, is um, most customers. And this is why when you go through this exercise, you're going to find themes and buckets of why customers leave a feature sucks or they don't have a feature or service sucks or whatever it is. But the, what it takes to get a customer to get you to tell you that is different for most customers, which is why yeah. surveying is so hard because the survey tries to find the common denominator of, among, you know, your hundred thousand, whatever customers that you have. 
The reality though, is that to even get someone to tell you that information, there's usually a one-off thing that happened. Hey, my email didn't go responded to for two days. So like, okay, let's go down this thought process of having a survey. Yep. How can we create custom surveys? How can we create experiences where the customer feels like, oh, this company actually, like the company sends me an email saying, hey, I, I understand that you're upset about this and we didn't do this. Can you help us understand where else we fell short? Here's a survey. And, you know, like you said, having really intelligent questions. Yeah. I think the part that that's missing in a survey is there's no sense of accountability or no sense of acknowledgement that something actually went wrong yeah. other than to have just sent a survey. Yeah. So um, that's part of the reason why I actually shy away from surveys as the first point of touch, because yeah, it's not personal at all. I found that surveys can help afterwards. Like, Hey, you know, customer, we talk about this, this, and this is a problem. We've put these solutions in place and we've also agreed to do this to your contract. Um, can you help us understand if there's any, you know, a month later, Hey, how are we doing against this plan? Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of power in automating the, the, the post plan creation stage. Right. But having that first conversation, I think I strongly believe has to be a one-to-one -one conversation. Um, although, you know, if you do that, you're going to have hundred percent, you're going to have close to 95% of your customers actually responding to you because it's a conversation. You show you genuine interest and care. Most customers will be responsive to that. Um, a survey, you know, you and I both know surveys go unanswered like 80, 90% yeah. of the time. Right. So, uh, unfortunately I just, I think that the numbers don't play well, if you compare a survey versus like sending a, an email. Hi, my name yeah. is Sir Dave. I'm, you know, I, I lead our customer experience team and I'm really interested in understanding how we fall short. My team tells me that this, this, and this happened. Um, and I'm interested and in, invested in figuring out a solution um, yeah. or just collecting feedback and discussing the offboarding. And sometimes it's important to lead with that too. Hey, I understand you want to leave. Let's talk about what those next steps look like to make sure that you're set up for success after you leave our platform. Yeah. And that could have nothing to do with the business I work for. It could have everything to do with best tips and tricks on how to migrate data or how to make sure you're onboarding with them properly, or here's a gap that you might have. I want to make sure you fill this gap. Um, and, and I, you know, to peel it back, you're just, if you, if you have someone that's in this customer experience role, um, and that's the, the, that's the term that I kind of think of that makes the most sense, right? It's not a retention specialist. It's not, you know, it's, you're really thinking about the customer's experience, then you're invested in understanding what the customer needs to be successful. And ideally your product supports that, but if it doesn't being honest about that and helping get them on the right track. Yeah, man. Um, the, the other thing that I was just sitting here thinking too, like you mentioned is, you know, you're, you're starting to gather this information, this data, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're starting to say, okay, um, Hey, you know, we're collecting these, these uh, kind of churn reasons that people are leaving. We're starting to realize maybe here's two or three pain points that are starting to pop up more and more. So how, how have you worked maybe to a kind of bring that information together? Uh, where's that kind of happened for you? And then how do you think about going to gather, um, you know, different leaders across the organization to buy into that and say, Hey, you know, we, we've, we're starting to have a problem. This is, you know, one of the reasons that customers are leaving most, how do we start solving this? Yeah. So I was really fortunate. Um, when I had, when I was in that customer experience role, I actually joined a couple of members of, of the team that had already built the framework of this function, if you will. And it was built basically off of a spreadsheet. So, you know, the traditional like kind of MVP version of this is if you 
put your notes, your qualitative notes, you document everything in that conversation. And then every month or quarter, you look at those qualitative notes and you bucket. So what are some thematic reasons? The key part of this exercise though, is being able to assign a theme to a function. And at first you're actually not doing much externally, like you're not doing much outside of your core group in that in the organization with that data. You're just collecting that data. Because what you're hoping to do is at the end of the quarter, you're hoping to basically present this or show this to your CS leader or another executive in the organization that's thinking or, or thinking about churn or thinking about net revenue retention and saying, hey guys, I think there's an opportunity for us to solve some of this pain may not be a pain today, but it could be tomorrow. Let's be proactive about it. Um, and let's hear some, hear this, the two or three big themes that we're seeing. Um, and I think just presenting that in and of itself the first time is, is very impactful because you're not going to them with the answers. You're just saying, hey, I'm, we're noticing this from the customer. Yeah. And then allowing those functions, a lot of times, you know, you want those functions to be able to come up with their own processes or solutions to these challenges. But typically, if you're the one showing the this, the challenge, you the, 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 that function might actually be inclined to ask for your input and help too. And so this is actually almost an organic way for CS to be plugged into every function within the organization, which I think has to happen anyways. But this is one way to formalize it a little bit. So yeah, I think you have buckets and reasons created. You ideally tie those to different functions within the organization. And then when it comes to just advocating for it, I mean, look, part of it's gonna be leaning on your leaders, your leadership to advocate and say, hey, look, we are the voice of our customer and we're noticing that 5% of our customers are leaving. And of that 5%, 20% are because of this reason. Let's bring this down. Let's focus on this one thing. And other executives get bought in to this as well. Um, it doesn't happen overnight though. It took us uh, almost nine months to get to that point where leaders, like the leadership level was invested in it. We had it on our OKRs yeah. and, and we're making progress against it. But um, you start small first, just collect the data, have these conversations, collect the data, put it in a spreadsheet, and then you can start to actually operationalize this in, in Salesforce. You have tickets, you have, uh, you know, objects, you have automation yeah. in place, follow up and all that stuff. Yeah. I think it's such a good point about the starting small, right? Just even having the conversations is, is a, I think, you know, half the battle sometimes is just changing the mindset and getting people adopted to the fact that we are collecting things like this, that this is, you know, things that we can start to count on and that we can use. Um, like half the battle is just getting them bought into that fact. And so even just starting to have the conversations like, Hey, you know, we are collecting this. I just want to start filling you in on a couple of things that we're noticing and like, you know, maybe now is the right time, not the right time, but we're going to start bringing these up, you know, and figuring out, Hey, what are the right solutions? Is it a, is it a product solution? Is it, you know, do we, do we have a stopgap? Is there a long-term solution? Like what is the, this happened? But I think people sometimes just often forget, like as a leader, I mean, really you're just trying to gather momentum uh, on the right things at the right times and keep them going. And so sometimes if you were to come out and kind of say from day one, almost like, Hey, we're getting all these surveys in or we're getting all these, you know, uh, this data in, we're getting uh, kind of survey responses in and we need to go start changing X, Y, and Z right now. It needs to be a big program. We need to go do like everyone in the organization needs to be involved. It's like, that's the probably the easiest way to kill momentum right from the beginning. Right. So it's like, how do you start small, yeah. get some momentum, get people involved. Um, and even too, just, um, I was going to say one other thing that we've done recently that kind of goes down your route of, you know, getting, 
just getting other people involved and kind of empathetic to the customer and starting to think in the customer lens. So we are doing, this is the second time we've done it, but we're doing a um, customer listening tour. And so we're doing hundred customers in 50 days. Uh, we've got 15 of our leaders, including all of our C-suite. Like we have our chief people officer going to have conversations. We have our chief financial officer, uh, you know, like they're obviously they're not going to be talking to customers every single day, but like, it's been pretty shocking for me, like to hear like our chief people officer, like, oh my gosh, I enjoyed having that conversation so much. Yeah. Like, and you know, it might not impact 99% of what she's doing, but she came back and kind of said, that was like so enjoyable to learn really about what our customers are trying to achieve, how much they, they value the platform. Like she just got some nice insights out of it that she would, would have never really gotten before because she doesn't talk to customers every day, but she gets yeah. to go now have, you know, five or six customer conversations and kind of get some of those stories that she can talk about. And so I was going to say, that's another piece that, again, we're, we're, we're just trying to get people bought into the idea of like, Hey, the customers, you know, should come first. The customers matter. Right. And like, we're, we're starting to kind of put our money where our mouth is because we all need to go have these conversations and get these stories here kind of right from the customers um, so that we can, you know, start to draw upon these things and that we are kind of empathizing, right. We can put ourselves in the customer's shoes because we're, we're sitting there hearing it face to face. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that your team is doing that outside of CS is huge um, and that you're having a listening tour is awesome. I think, you know, a lot of CS leaders I've talked to have said like, you know, my organization just doesn't care. At the end of the day, it's 3% a month of our business, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right? At the same time though, you, most people will agree that churn is a leaky bucket. You want to avoid that, right? So even if you're solving 20% of that 3%, it's still a big impact to the organization. Um, and so sometimes you have to find ways to quantify why this is important from that top line or bottom line perspective. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, getting everyone and bought into let's have customer conversations. Let's have you listen in. Let's have you make a couple visits to some of our customers who have had is issues in the past or have brought up some concerns. Um, it's huge. And you don't have to solve them today. Let's actually not go in with the mindset of solving it. Let's just go in the mindset of listening and understanding how we got to this point um, and then putting some of those solutions in place. And I actually think that goes, what that ends up doing, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, it, it shows that you're, you as an organization care about your customer and what does that do for your brand, right? How does that create like a lot of uh, world-class brand experiences because those customers realize and recognize that these people actually care about me as a customer. Um, and at the end of the day, like the best businesses in the world have probably some of the best experiences with their brand service or products. Um, and so, you know, once you have that intersection, I think you've, and you have the product obviously to support it, I think you have this huge momentum of a business that, that can kind of really take off at that point. Yeah. The, um, the other thing I was just going to ask you too, you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, as you're having some of these conversations, are you, have you um, worked with your team to, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of got verbatim from the customer, right? We're kind of doing the one-to-one -one conversation and we're kind of taking notes, jotting it down. But then are you, are you translating that into kind of a Salesforce object where you have standard kind of pick lists and then it becomes yeah. kind of operationalized internally? Um, is that kind of the way that you all work that out is, is hey, we're, we're kind of taking notes, but then we're kind of into the objects that we can then start at least reporting out on certain things and getting some standardization. Yeah. Is that how it typically works? Yeah, I mean, it takes, it takes six to nine months to get there, to be honest, because yeah. you take a quarter to just get the, quali the initial qualitative data. And yeah. you're also figuring out like, what's your email cadence? How do you reach out? What, like what's... What works for our customers? What's going to get them responsive? Um, 
once you have that initial list and you start, you, you create your initial buckets, then you have to validate the next quarter that the data that you collect fits into those buckets. Yeah. And once you validated that, then you're probably in a situation where you can operationalize it. And it's kind of what we did is we had Salesforce objects, can't, you know, we had a cancellation or, or customer experience object. Um, that object was created by the CSM, the account manager. It was then sent to the CX team. CX team would pick up the object. We're separate from the CSM structure we like yep. reported into into CS directly. Uh, and so what that does is it kind of allows for a little bit of checks and balances. They annotate, you know, here's what's gotten this customer to this point. Here's what I think will help. And then we start reaching out to the customer. You know, we log that activity in that object. We um, will take, uh, once we have that conversation, we'll take notes. And then the, the last part of it is we create a case uh, that has kind of the, here's the, here's what we're going to be doing to solve this and, and, you know, billing, you do this, it might be multiple tickets, right? Billing, you do this, CS, you do this. Um, hey, exactly. You need to be aware of this. This might have impact. And then everything kind of gets reported. And then for each in our objects, we actually had it broken out into child objects by line item. So on the invoice, you know, is this customer just looking to, to cancel a professional service or are they looking to cancel the whole thing? Um, so you can segment that. And then you can also segment the reasons and we created reasons by product type. So, you know, your, your pro your keep your, um, what's the word I'm looking for your core product, right? The yep. core thing that you're, that you're selling, uh, probably has different reasons in your professional services. And so you can create different types of buckets and then you have different types of save tactics. So the other part of this too, is if you're able to save a customer, we should understand why we save that customer. Yeah. And, creating those buckets. I, you know, anecdotally, Jeff, like when I first started in that role, uh, this was almost two years ago or just maybe over two years ago now. Um, I had, I had a joined, joined this team very excited. I was saving like 17% of customers I was talking to. And that felt terrible, Gosh. right? Like our goal was 20%. I talked or my VP pulls me in uh, one month into the job and he's like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm really struggling. I'm really trying to save customers. Right. And like, that was the intention, right? Obviously you want to save business. And both she and my manager at the time actually pulled me aside and said, don't, don't worry about saving customers. Just try to understand why they're not happy. And the minute I had that switch, I ended up saving 50, 60% of business uh, a quarter where we're not losing customers, we're keeping customers and we're potentially expanding customers. And so that was a key turning point, I think, in that role for me was changing and shifting the mentality from, you know, being this person that was trying to save you to just listening and understanding the pain points and then putting solutions in place. And then you, you know, you can kind of operationalize the, the solutions and make sure that we're actually getting things, uh, you know, done and completed in time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love your point too, just about the, the time it takes, right. I think sometimes people think that you can do these things a lot faster than you can, right? Like, Hey, I'm going to go just create churn codes. We're going to do this next month. Right. Where it's like, yeah. I mean, you're talking about how, Hey, it took us six to nine months to actually, um, you know, Get everything that we needed to in terms of the qualitative information first and then we had to go put it into salesforce then we had to use it a little bit then we had to validate like i mean again like i think sometimes people just overestimate or underestimate how long it'll take you to do those types of things um and so like for me that's just another thing that that goes i think just along the things that you're talking about which is you know hey like put the proper planning and time in don't just kind yeah. of cut corners and try and do things quickly like hey what's it really going to take for us to do this um because again, I think, I don't know, you're, you're always going to find a manager who's, who's going to say, Hey, can we do it faster? Um, but at the end of the day, like they're going to, they're going to look at, Hey, what, 
what do you really think like this is going to take, right? They're going to trust you. If you have a good leader, they're going to trust your instinct. They're going to trust what you're saying. They're going to, they're going to know that you went to do your homework to figure this out. Um, and so like, that's the other thing to think about uh, quite a bit. Uh, I just know that that, that also comes along with, Hey, there's so many other things going on in the organization, right? So how do you provide focus around certain things? Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to gloss over that. Cause I think people sometimes just forget about, Hey, th- there is actual time that needs to put in, be put into this and we need to do validation. We need to come back and revisit these as well. It's not a set it and forget it, right? Like we're going to come back and kind of keep validating these things yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Quarterly scrubs is kind of how we did it at the end of every quarter or at the beginning of the quarter, we would look at the previous quarter and look at, you know, what were the churn reasons we put together an executive deck that was maybe no more than five or six slides, share it with our VP and just be like, here's our findings. We actually, in between this time, what was a really cool lesson learned for me was we saw more success in getting things done if we just presented what we saw, not the solution, the proposed solutions. It's very easy to get into solution mode, especially when you're in CS because you know the customer and your solutions may be right. Yeah. But organizations aren't typically um, responsive or receptive to that. They actually, they want to have that ownership and control as they should, right? It's like someone in sales coming into CS and saying, here's how you should onboard a customer. Yeah. It's probably, a conversation is probably not going to go very well. Um, so similarly, like CS telling product, hey, you need to build this feature. You know, PM's probably going to look at you and say like, hey, I have a process that I go to to validate whether we should build this. Like, let yeah. me go through that process. Totally fair. So I found that like, if you're having these conversations and documenting it, just prepare to show the insights. Don't be prepared to show the solutions unless you're asked. Like, you know, obviously if someone's asking, you should have a solution prepared, yeah. but lead with the problem statement first. Uh, you'll, you'll have more success, I think, with that. Yeah. Um, man, this has been awesome. Uh, good that. And I had a good time, you know, talking through this. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of good actionable pieces in here for people to think about, you know, um, being, being a good steward and, and trying to make sure that you're off in a good light, you know, trying to make sure that customers can, um, you know, they can move on gracefully, keep the door open. I mean, I think that's just maybe the, the that might be the title of this podcast, uh, or the name of this, this one we put out there, right. Is keeping the door ajar, keeping the door open. Cause yeah. there's always going to be people who want to come back, um, to, you know, trying to think about that brand integrity, uh, and then just the points you just talked about, you know, um, think about the timing and how long, you know, it really takes, get the qualitative data, then try and figure out what's the right system or tool, you know, system of record for us to collect this in. Um, how do we get it into the right types of objects, get people adopted to it? And then how do we continue to validate over time? But ton of good actionable pieces um, that are in here. So I was glad you came on to do this, especially around this topic. Um, and so, you know, if there's, uh, are you on LinkedIn, Twitter, like where, you know, where get, shameless plug, where, where can people find more of you? Um, where do you spend a lot of your time, you know, that, uh, people can come engage with more, more stuff. Yeah. I tried the whole like LinkedIn content posting on Twitter thing. And it was tough for me to be honest. So, I mean, you can still find me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter. Uh, my LinkedIn's my first name, Gurdjieff, last name, Anand. And then my, uh, Twitter is G U R D. And then the number three V. Um, I'm probably like one of very few grenades out there. So hopefully it shouldn't <laughs> be too hard to find. Um, but yeah, I know. I mean, like I, I encourage people to reach out. If they have questions. Um, if there's any feet, like if there's anything I can do to help, I'm always like open to having those conversations. I think it's really important to connect with other folks and leaders um, that might have, uh, you know, they might be able to even give me some, some tips and tricks on other things too. So um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, I think where you can find me. Awesome. I like it. Well, yeah, we'll have to find uh, some more topics over time to to get you back on here and doing this because yeah. um, I think once I have somebody on once, they're pretty hooked because it's like, you know, this is just a conversation. Hopefully people uh, get some good insight out of it. We just kind of storytell a little bit. So uh, I'm excited. 
I think it's, you know, at least for me, it's about to be four o'clock on a Friday and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, looking forward to having a, a nice weekend. So I might, I might go start my weekend a little early, you know, I might, yeah. I might hop off and, uh, maybe go take my dogs for a walk or, or get outside. I've been at my desk quite a bit. So, uh, I've enjoyed this though. I appreciate you spending some time as you should. And thanks for having me. This has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Hopefully I can come back soon. Cool. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.